What does it sound like when I loudly sip wine in front of the microphone? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really hear that. I aerosolized yeah. a little oh, too yeah. much of that into my lungs. <laughs> the coughing part definitely got me there. So. <laughs> yeah. Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was our finest. Welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. And I'm Andre. And we're here today to do part two on artificial sweeteners. It's our series that is longer than we anticipated. It was going to be a one part at first. It turns out there's a lot of types of artificial sweeteners and maybe even natural artificial sweeteners. Uh, <laughs> this is... Well, that's, I mean, that's what it is, though, right? I think, basically, this series is going to be about, like, non-nutritive sweeteners. Right. So sweeteners that aren't sucrose or right. glucose. Sucrose is a sweetener, if you will. Because <laughs> <laughs> some would agree with you, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's done in some circles. <laughs> this is excellent. Uh, but you know, uh, in our first part last week, we talked about artificial sweeteners that were designed in labs, often by people licking fingers yep. and accidenting upon sweeteners. Yes. Uh, this one, we're going to talk about sweeteners that are located outside in the world outside yeah. your window pane how natural uh, yeah exactly and this will help us lead into our third part next week that's going to be about the deadly health consequences of sweeteners oh. uh, not really but like discussions and debates and controversies around sweeteners and their actual impacts on your health right right insulin stuff weight and cancer, like all of those things, that's going to be next week. And Alzheimer's. If you guys remember from our Alzheimer's episode, maybe your shitty eating is <laughs> Stevia! <what> I... <laughs> no, I'm just all right. Oh, God. Anyway, so yeah, this week, the natural stuff. And let's do it. Okay, Sean, talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's excellent. Okay, so the first category that I wanted to talk about are things called rare sugars and sugar alcohols. Yeah, and this is a Nahuatl word that's coming up, right? Jurolito, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, xylitol? Uh, that's from, uh, that's Greek. Ah, okay, there we go. The xyl is, is wood. Like, oh. a, like xylem and phloem, right? That's like woody shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's because you get xylitol, it's an like extract from birch wood. I think. Okay. So xylitol's our first one. It's a birch wood baby bitch. I remember in Korea, okay. this is like all over the place, dude. Oh, I and like, gum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to just like fucking mainline xylitol when oh, I was wow. teaching. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you should have done that. It's mostly flavor on your tongue. I'm not sure. Not, not when I inject it. <laughs> I don't think you get the flavor. Um, anyway, so it is a naturally occurring sugar, okay? Mm. It's technically a sugar alcohol yeah. in that one of the aldehyde it gets turned into an alcohol. But anyway, mm. it tastes about as sweet as sucrose, but it provides only 40% of the calories. Yeah. And the way that it's metabolized is independent of insulin, so it doesn't really impact blood sugar levels for people oh, that are diabetic. Oh, shit. So um, this is this is 
Why isn't just everything xylitol then? That's uh, like the dream, right? Well, is xylitol not one of the ones that, if overconsumed, causes you to have uh, intestinal problems? <laughs> the poops. <laughs> That's a great point, Andre. <laughs> um, so, as a category, sugar alcohols, which xylitol is one of, mm. do have a tendency to cause a little bit of the loosening of the bowels. I mean, that's a plus, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I shit like a like a goose, you know, <laughs> and, and that's one of my superpowers. Right, I think I, if you consume enough xylitol, you'll be shitting more like a hippo. Yeah, yeah. So and usually, because <laughs> whenever I need a break from work, I have a good reason. Like I gotta poop. I I can confirm balls. Nathan loves to poop at work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I tell people too. I'm like that coworker who's like, I need to take a poop, and they're like, you don't have to tell me why you're on a break. <laughs> but I do because I'm like, it might be 20 minutes. All right, because I'm, you know, I gotta read my articles while I poop, and you know, I gotta make sure it's all out. This is great. <laughs> but it is sadly slightly related to the actual topic at hand, so we're going to have to allow it. I'm always on topic. <laughs> Out of the sugar alcohols, I think xylitol is a little less likely to cause this issue. Or, like, it still causes it, but maybe not quite as extreme. Sexy. There are some other ones where you don't need to eat a crazy amount for it to have an impact. Malitol... Erythritol, those kinds of things. I think malitol is the one that was in the Haribo gummy right, bears. Right, the gummy bears. Infamous poop bears. Right. I think the problem is just that, like, sure, it's in there, but also people can just, like, eat fistfuls of gummy bears right, like, indefinitely. Right. You can imagine if you had the medical amount, right, which is about, like, 300 milligrams of Haribo <laughs> every day before breakfast. Sure. I mean, you'd be fine. Yeah, no problem there. But people are hand over fist just downing entire... Like one pound bags yeah. of gummy bears. <laughs> the Soviet Union was a harsh place, right? <laughs> There's a reason for that reference. And Hedwig and the Angry Inch, shitty East German gummy bears, mm. is like what Hedwig eats. And then this like hot American soldier sees him sunbathing naked and then uses like tastier American gummy bears to like lure Hedwig towards him. And then Hedwig sings a song about sugar daddies. Were gummy bears ever American anyway? Well, it, it West German maybe. Not, not Soviet. Well, Japan was part of the broader... Haribo is a German company, isn't it? Okay, this is... What is it? I thought Haribo was a Japanese company. It, Wait, well, Germany, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> they were on the same side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did some naughty shit. I agree with you. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> while Andre looks that up, because apparently that's important. Uh, the, <laughs> yes, so those gummy bears, I think people ate a lot of them, and then it caused pretty severe intestinal distress. Yeah. Okay, in terms of lots of fartins and poopins. Wait, so where was Haribo from? Oh, uh, you're right. Haribo is German. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. So, wow, okay. So wait, was... wait, when was it invented? Because maybe it's a plot. Since 1960, Haribo calls its gummy bears gold bears. Oh, okay. Uh, it looks like they invented the gummy bear in 1922. Ah, so right after, like one year before the beer hall pushed, right? It's <laughs> right. probably a plot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad we did this. <laughs> so getting Actually, so like we're pooping. so getting entirely back on track. Xylitol and other sugar alcohols are metabolized by gut bacteria, and maybe that in part results in the diarrhea or gas, depending on how much is consumed. Right. Just visualize this audience. Like a billion little microbiomes are like, oh, and they all poop at the same time. That's actually enough poop to be a nugget. 
what are you doing? <laughs> Even though each one's a little guy. No, that's not. Basically, the microbiome digesting xylitol can kind of create these different signaling molecules that will interact with the cells in your intestines. Yeah. And then the cells in your intestines can secrete out different proteins that uh, cause more gastric activity. Okay. And that's, that, that's why what, you poop? Yes. Dude, I thought poop was like all my cute little Osmosis Jones. Like pooping, and then like their poop combines into one like mega Shiva, right? And then it's like it's it astonishing comes, how... comes out with like six arms, and it's like, Aah! how do you know so little when we've been doing the show for so long? <laughs> we, we I think it's this. astonishing that he's still making Osmosis Jones references. I thought that would have been gone by now. <laughs> Dude, I was waiting for that to be in the new Space Jam. I don't know if it's a Warner Brothers movie at all, but like clearly, Osmosis Jones and Space Jam should be the same cinematic universe. Holy shit. They feel linked somehow, like emotionally, right? Hey, don't get off track. <laughs> We're talking about how you I don't even right? know what's fucking happening anymore. Okay, anyway. Okay, well, we stimulate the microbiome and they poop proteins, and the proteins help us poop. <laughs> We've got to be done with this section. I, I, have, I have a question that yeah. might be on track. Okay. All right. You, you mentioned that it bypasses any insulin processing, uh, therefore not necessarily affecting like sugar intake. Yeah. But a question I've always had, and stop me if this is something more appropriate for part three, but does the taste of sweetness not trigger your body to produce insulin, irrespective of like the actual sugar molecules themselves? Because for some reason, I'd always heard that it did. Yeah, so there's maybe some evidence that like tasting something sweet can have sort of like an anticipatory impact on blood sugar levels mm -hmm. but a lot of times that anticipatory effect is not sufficient to cause any kind of like big problem for people with diabetes mm -hmm. or insulin blood sugar issues and in fact i mean like this is very famous but in tantric buddhist studies they don't get you know because they can suppress the thought of appetite itself and they don't taste sweetness there's no effect uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep it in because he apologized. <laughs> That's got to be the rule. When... Oh my God. So oh my God. Keep oh that Oh my God. Stacy is pooping. Yeah, Subscribership. Time horrible gummy yeah, bear. <laughs> Our sound designer has bodily functions. All right. The people need to know. Well, if, if only... If only she had listened to or read these notes before eating all those hair. Right, 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 right. Oof. Okay. So, not to mention, I think in this particular case, xylitol is almost never used to the same degree that a lot of other artificial sugars are used. Right. Or artificial sweeteners. Oh, interesting. So, you mean like the literal amount of xylitol you put into like a piece of gum or something? Right. It's like really small. So, I'm not sure that there are very good studies trying to associate whether xylitol or other sugar alcohols create enough of a sweetness flavor to cause like any kind of issue in terms of diabetes. It's just like broadly understood that for xylitol, it does not directly have any kind of impact on blood sugar levels and maybe is better for preventing cavities. Oh, shit. Uh, that makes sense. Because the sort of microbiome on teeth primarily breaks down either sucrose or glucose. And creates that acid that can, like, eat away at your teeth. All right. And xylitol cannot be processed by them. So they just can't produce acid from right. xylitol. But it is true, Andre, that we got to talk about that a little bit more next episode when we talk about whether or not there is some of that insulin stuff going on. Okay. Because that's probably one of the things about artificial sweeteners that I'm most interested in. So very yeah, much looking forward to that. we're going to do it next episode. time. So xylitol sounds to me to be the perfect solution. 
right? Like, it's like, this is the sweetener. We should even replace sucrose with xylitol. Wow. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. It sounds like it's kind of awesome. I think it's a, a little bit more difficult to make. Or it's still a natural occurring substance, so we still have to do extraction stuff. It's right. just sucrose, I think, is set up really well at this right. point. It's been a very long time that we've been doing it. So it's got economies of scale. Right. And then on top of that, xylitol, all sugar alcohols do not work exactly the same as sucrose when it comes to things like baking or and stuff like that. The, right. So um, the baking lobby. Okay, they're behind this. Well, it's just one of the things is uh, sugar, sucrose caramelizes. Yeah. Xylitol and other sugar alcohols cannot caramelize. Right. So there are certain chemical reactions that can occur and desirable things in cooking that kind of regular sugar can do that xylitol can't. Whether that's a good enough reason to not like... I mean, I guess I'm a little surprised that we don't have like xylitol packets and stuff like that. It's because the name xylitol. If they had a cuter name like Cutitos... Like, I think people would use it more, but xylitol sounds like it's going to kill you, right? That sounds toxic. Hmm. Although that's cultural... Appropriation. No, no, no. That's dependent on culture, right? Because, like, most sugar-free, like, Asian gums I've seen, like... Say xylitol. Say xylitol, like, 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 almost, like, sometimes part of the name itself. That's true. In Korea, you're like, xylitol. (laughs) Like, you're fucking fistful of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's true. That's true. But it's still, I feel like anything that has a very clear Greek root in America is like, ew, foreigner. Well, just yeah, fuck gross. it. This can be your thing. Name it something else. Yeah. Name it. Zuzu. Oh, yeah. Like, Zuzu too. Oh, everyone taking the Zuzu. Yeah, Zuzu too. All right. a very cute name. Yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's take a break. Yeah. And then we're going to move on to monk fruit shit, right? Yeah, yeah. So this next section, we're going to be talking about the stevia and the monk fruit. I guess let's just do like a. Does anything look particularly? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Stacey knows it's a break. (laughs) I hope so. So, guys, we're back, and we're here to talk about our next natural sweetener, stevia. Yeah. Stevia? How did you pronounce it? I said stevia, but whatever. Uh, Stevia. Okay, stevia and monk fruit. So why is it named after the Romanized feminine form of Steve? <laughs> uh, yeah, you'd have to ask that question about the actual, like, bush or whatever that this comes from, which is called Stevia Rebaudiana. Ah. Um, but basically, there's this family of molecules called glycoside molecules. And in contrast to xylitol and some of those other sugars we were talking about, glycoside molecules are not structurally that similar to any sugars. Mm-hmm. Okay, they have a little chunk of them that looks sort of like a glucose but for the most part they look pretty different otherwise okay but anyway these are molecules that you can extract from the leaves of stevia rebaudiana and there are several different molecules that can be called stevia so technically when you get stevia from somewhere it might not be a single molecule Hmm. right so like unlike artificial sweeteners where it is a very particular molecule that they've synthesized this extract could be multiple molecules okay the least bitter of which is called Rebaudioside A. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know if you've ever just, like, eaten stevia or something like that. Oh. But depending on the extraction process and what they do to purify it after the fact, it could have different combinations of these molecules, so it could be more or less bitter, more or less sweet. Huh. Yeah. The fuck? <laughs> I don't like that one. So bit. that does mean that different formulations of stevia from different companies could be more or less sweet and more or less bitter. So it just kind of depends on where you're getting it from. Stevia seems to interact with another protein on our cells besides the normal taste receptors. 
Okay, so it does what we were talking about last time with the taste receptors, right? Mm. But there's another protein called TRPM5. And TRPM5 sort of like modifies our perception of tastes. So like when you have normal sweet receptors and they're blasting off or whatever, TRPM5 can like either turn up that signal or turn down that signal too. Okay. Or if you have some kind of the sour channels, they're blasting off. TRPM5 can make it kind of more sour or less sour. Yeah, I remember uh, back uh, in early college, Andre got some miracle fruit. And no, no, I mean, that's what it was called uh, through the interwebs, the dark web. Andre went on the dark web and got some of this illegal miracle fruit and we tried it. And uh, all of a sudden, lemons tasted sweet. Is that the same thing? No. Oh, what, what, what you're talking about is something we're going to be talking about later in the episode. You son of a and bitch. you just like... You led me astray. <laughs> you just blew your load all over the wrong section. No, of that's what it sounded like. I don't know. It's talking about tweaking. <laughs> I'm with and you, I got a It was story. a trap. It definitely was a trap. <laughs> it was a trap. In, <laughs> in any case. You entrapped me. If you continue to read the next two sentences of the notes, stevia can mix with other flavors and change how they taste. Look at you lording over me with your literate mind. <laughs> All right. You know I can't read that. But the main point there is that stevia, unlike some of the other sweeteners that we've been talking about, doesn't just go through the sweetness receptors. And that means if you mix it with other sweeteners... It can cause them to become way more sweet. It can cut bitterness flavor out. It can make things a little bit less sour, things like that. So stevia has a little bit more complex kind of flavor capabilities to it. Sexy. So there's one study that suggests that pancreatic islet cells, those are the ones that pump out insulin, also have this TRPM5 receptor. And that stevia may kind of help prevent or chill out diabetes by regulating insulin production. Oh, shit. With the caveat... That you would need stevia to be in your body, in your bloodstream, to be able to hit this fucking receptor. Or you just inject it straight into the pancreas, right? <laughs> like a really long needle. Just a reminder <laughs> that this podcast is uh, not about medical advice. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Is, I think Andre could shut his mouth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think medicine is what you want it to be, right? I what? mean, that's what we've learned over the last year. God damn it. <laughs> it's like, take some hydrochloroquine, right? God, like, don't whatever. do this. Holy shit. Wow, the opinions expressed by Nathan are not, <laughs> not representative of the podcast as a whole. But I'm the only medical doctor, so that's, wow. yeah, that's right. Holy uh, shit. My prescription is alcohol. You are saying all kinds people, of fucking People words. often say a bartender is like a doctor, but of, um, of the liver, right? <laughs> <laughs> More like the murderer of a liver. Hey, what were we talking about? Way off track. Okay, anyway, the point is, there was a study, and in general, I will say that this kind of study showing that certain kinds of receptors are expressed in other places in your body besides your tongue, like sweetness receptors are actually expressed in your intestines also. Yeah. This is clearly, you don't taste things from your intestines. They just must be doing something else in That's those cells. one of the X-Men, actually. Don't do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called Gutman, <laughs> and he can actually tell you what he's tasting in his gut. Uh, Gutman, yeah, like Gutman can't breathe. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, I'm not entirely convinced that this study matters in the scheme of people eating stevia. Right. But it is an interesting idea that maybe there's some way to be able to develop things that can interact with this receptor and maybe help out with diabetes a little bit. Very cool. There is a different molecular family that are still technically glycosides. So glycosides is like this really broad group of molecules. Yeah. There's another family called mogrosides. Mm. And those are found from monk fruit. Sounds like an orc poison. 
If you have like a horse problem, you put up Mograsside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kills yeah. them all. Yeah, it is a different side. So instead of C-I-D-E, right. it's S-I-D-E. But oh, anyway. Shit. So fewer studies have been done on the monk fruit stuff. Okay, they probably share enough in common with the stevia glycosides that they signal through similar pathways. But technically, like if you look at the two molecules, structurally they're pretty different. So it's entirely possible that they hit some other kinds of stuff too. Okay, okay. But just broadly speaking, there are that entire huge umbrella family of glycosides, a very small portion of which are sweet. A lot of them do not taste sweet. Mm-hmm. But the ones from stevia and monk fruit too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's take another one of those fucking breaks. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> the following is an actual advertisement. Hey, everybody. This is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Okay, guys, we're back with Petri Dish. we got to talk about our last natural sweetener. You never would get this one. Proteins themselves are all sweet, right? What's going on? <laughs> Some proteins happen to be sweet somehow. Right. So I guess thinking about this a little bit, this is not a crazy idea. In that proteins bind other proteins all the fucking time. Sweetness receptors are proteins. It's not insane to think that there are proteins out there that bind sweetness receptors and cause a sensation of sweetness. It's just... That had literally never occurred to me before. Right. I had always thought about sweetness as being something through small molecules, specifically fucking sugars. That had just made so much sense to me. Not to sound like a dum-dum, but a protein is a, a much lar- larger molecule. It's like a polypeptide or something. Like, yes, yes. Yeah. And so it, it is much bigger than a sugar or most of the sugars that cause sweetness. It's There are some sugars that are very large, things like starches and things like that, but those aren't sweet anyway. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah, it was a little surprising to find that there are actually several proteins that when you eat them, they taste sweet as opposed to contributing to something like umami flavor or something like that. Sure. Right? And so there are some examples like monelin, thaumatin, pentadin, uh, mabinolin, and brazian. Mmm, brazzers. You know, the porn site. <laughs> wow. That's, You're really contributing today. That's sweet great. Meat. Sweet meat, daddy. Don't do that with your fingers. Don't look at me and do that with your fingers. Anyway. All right. The audience will never know what I did to you. Four, four out of the five in that list are from West African plants. Like the serendipity berry or right. the... Oobly shrub yeah. berry. Right, and the last one is from Johnny Sins, am I right? Just like dropping a fat load. Now, hold on. What? My understanding is Miraculin, or the Miracle Berry, is also from West Africa, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, What's so going- what is with that region <laughs> producing yeah. all these funky proteins? Yeah, Damn. so I'm not sure how many of these plants are in a similar, like, kind of broad family. Right, maybe they're all the same like freaky deaky plant. My recollection is that a lot of them are producing berries, but that the, the plants themselves can grow in different conditions. One of them is like a climbing vine that makes berries, and one of them is a shrub. But anyway, I don't know why so many of them are West African. Right. It's a fun question. It's a fun question. Miraculin yeah. is interesting because it is not itself sweet. Right. It's right. actually kind of a neutral flavor. Yeah, it just kind of like temporarily turns off their sour receptors in a sense. Right, so what Miraculin does 
is it does bind your sweetness receptors, but in its native form, it is an antagonist of your sweetness receptors. So it actually prevents you from tasting sweetness. Huh. Until sourness comes in. And so sourness or heat also, but sourness and really intense alkaline pH hmm. will denature the miraculin protein. And the way that it like fucks up the miraculin protein structure turns it from an antagonist of the sweetness receptors to an agonist of the sweetness receptors. Damn. That's basically, it changes it from keeping the receptors from turning on to forcing them to turn on in the presence of acidity. Damn. So that's what's actually going on with the miraculin. Okay. Is it's still binding. So it's actually kind of like these sweet proteins. It's just these sweet proteins, they bind it and they do kind of regular signaling through, Damn. right? But Can miraculin starts turned off and then sourness turns it on. Damn, just like Loki and Thor. What? Well, because he's an ag, uh, an ag, what are the word you use? Antagonist. Antagonist. Oh, I know that word. Yeah. Okay, so he's an antagonist. Yeah. But then by Thor Ragnarok and then, uh, you know, the other fucking movies, he actually switches, right? And he's actually pushing Thor forward. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then he becomes an agonist. Yeah, and now he's uh, Miraculin, right? Because he's fucking, he's, he's a miracle because he's the first decent Marvel show. All right. right? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, no, come on. What? That's kind of a hot take. Yeah, it's a little hot. <laughs> episode two of bucky buck was pretty good oh my god oh my god wait Auntie, did you finish that series yet i did yeah yesterday uh sweet you're already ahead of me then uh what'd you what'd you think it was good good show nice nice no 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 Sean, uh, 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 andre whoops andre describe more no <laughs> we're being recorded That's not what this is about anyway point is okay okay um, so why do proteins um this is kind of a weird question, I guess. But, like, why is it intuitive or counterintuitive that proteins would taste sweet specifically? Like, is it just kind of, like, surprising that by random chance? Yeah, okay. So, one of the potential purposes of a sweetness receptor in the first place. Like, why is there something on our tongue that detects the presence of a carbohydrate, a sugar, and then gives some kind of signal to our brain? Yeah, but, I mean, why can we detect ass flavor, right? It's kind of chicken or egg, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's neither kind of, of those a, things. Kind of a ship of Hesius kind <laughs> it's, of it's issue. Neither, you know? neither chicken nor egg. <laughs> it's kind of a um, Zeno's paradox. No, okay. So because because carbohydrates are an important energy source mm. for us, right? And so we have this receptor available so that we can actually taste that energy source and enjoy it. So we get more of it, right? right? So like there is a good reason for us to be able to detect carbohydrates. Right. Proteins are way less energy dense than carbs are. Hmm. And so... Why the fuck... Right. We, we, there's but no see, evolutionary value to tasting protein. We didn't way. evolve that way. Right. It's much more likely the plant evolved that way. Oh, tricky, tricky. Perhaps to make it more palatable to certain things. Poop it out. See right. you know, Interestingly, and I could be miss or half remembering this because my research into miracle berries is more than a decade old. But my understanding is because it is, it is from West Africa. My understanding is a lot of the native fruits in that region tend to be very sour and or bitter mm. and that the use of miracle berry was to be consumed before consuming the rest of the food that would otherwise be unnaturally unpalatable what uh, an entrepreneurial berry man yeah it's like looked at the marketplace i was like this is the need right here that's fancy i do wonder uh you know it's, it's very easy 
to try to ascribe too much to evolution in terms right. of like the motivation of things, right? Right, right, right. So you gotta remember, the world's a lot like Loki, right? It's random. God damn, dude. Yeah. What's going on with you? He's the god of like random shit, right? You you have like refused to finish that show. Yeah. The last episode's out, dude. You can just watch it. I'm gonna watch it. Everybody calm down. I got a whole lifetime to watch this shit. What? I'll get to it. It's true. No, it's in the zeitgeist like 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 a week ago. A couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, I don't totally know because then you get into complicated questions of like why would the miracle berry produce this protein that might help other things get spread or like there's a lot of kind of cross complexity i I mean i don't mean to imply that like it evolved for that reason like it's more or less random like any evolution but like that's the reason i think why we even discovered it or even like why so many of the sweet tasting or like just taste altering things that we find naturally come from that region is just because like the actual nutritive foodstuffs that are more natural in that region just tend to have issues with palatability and therefore the necessity of finding something that tastes sweet even when something that actually is sweet like sugar wise doesn't necessarily exist in the same quantities as it does in like other societies it's like how france naturally found itself liking jerry lewis because their art is so bitter and dying Right? And so they overcompensated with the miracle berry that is Jerry Lewis's saccharine crap. Wow, that's rough. Okay, anyway. How do you explain Spain's obsession with Woody Allen, Nathan? Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a convergence of lifestyles, right? Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> fuck, okay. Um, I mean, either that or the plant is just conscious, right? And the, and the plant consciously was like, you know, if I make some of this good shit. That's good. Yeah. It's good It's good that you brought that in because that's clearly nonsense. And that, that, that's an easier kind of lodestone. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, right. What I said about Woody Allen in Spain is too real. <laughs> anyway, fuck me. Okay. Yeah, so I would be very curious to find out more about these sweet proteins and sort of like, what are the characteristics? Are they all part of the same protein family and things like that? Right. Their discovery is fairly recent. So there's a, still a lot of information that's very new. In fact, their ability to bind the protein receptors and stuff like that, the sweetness receptors, are all like pretty recent discoveries. Are they just proteins that are just not naturally occurring that much or do we just don't encounter in the foods that we eat? Like, why is it so recent? Oh, yeah, because, uh, I mean, in this case, each of the proteins that I had named are very specific to a specific plant in a specific part of the world. Oh, right. Okay. And so it's not eating a lot of that shit. Right, I mean, I guess uh, I mean, I, I West am. African cuisine or something. Right, or... I go to Fairfax, all right? And I, well, that's East African cuisine, so that doesn't work yeah, anyway. Yeah, see, don't be yeah. so naughty. Anyway, I think that that's very cool. It's very cool that there's a protein out there that does that. I kind of doubt that a lot of them could be used very much as, uh, you know, non-nutritive sweeteners. Right. They would, you know, not really cause insulin spikes or anything like that because right. their digestion would be broken down into amino acids. Right. right? They don't have any carbohydrates involved, really. But it's hard to mass produce these polypeptide bitches, right? That's true. They have done a little bit of work where they've taken yeast and put the genes into yeast to try to mass produce some of these mm. or quote unquote mass produce. And that works a little bit. So you can get some of these proteins from doing sort of bioreactor shit. But that's still kind of early days. Right. And I'm still not sure that you could bake with them and stuff like that. Right. I think um, some of them are more or less heat stable, but proteins have a tendency to denature. So, you know, it might be tough to just use them in anything that you want to use sugar in. Damn. 
Well, guys, we've just looked through the whole panoply. We've looked through all the artificial lab-made sweeteners, all the very sexy, sexy natural sweeteners. Next episode, we have to finally talk about the real hot, controversial shit. Sure. And about the health effects, or the lack thereof, that maybe these sweeteners have. Right. The artificial ones, for a very, very long time, have had this question of, like, do they cause cancer? It's like, pretty much every time that there's a new artificial sweetener, someone's like, that must cause cancer. Right? Yeah. So, so we're going to look through, we're going to see what the data is on actually whether or not there is any kind of link. We talked a little bit about that in the first episode, but we're going to dive in deeper. Right. And then when it comes to just broadly any kind of sweetener, for a very long time, since the 50s, one of the things that non-nutritive sweeteners have been marketed for is weight loss. Right. What's the data that they help with that? Right. And is there any way that they can actually exacerbate things like diabetes? Right. right. So we're going to look into all of that stuff. That's going to be next week, baby. Right. You know, you go to... Common media sites, right? It's like, you go to Vox, sweeteners explained. You go to Atlantic, how do I talk to my family members who are anti-sweetener? You go to Politico, it's like, Joe Biden getting hammered over sweeteners. <laughs> okay, we're going to cut all that shit. We're going to talk about the real truth. All right? Yeah, <laughs> talk about, now we're talking about the truth behind sweeteners. I thought that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say so many things that make me mad. This one was actually pretty good. Uh, okay. But so, it's a good mad. Let's, like let's, an inspiring mad. Let's, let's think. Stacy Song, our sound lord, engineer, and animator who's still pooping. <laughs> who's just like, yeah, Harry bowed for fucking all day now. I think I think she actually ordered something from Macy's or something like that. And, uh, and we got a, we got like an email notification. <laughs> <laughs> so she she was shopping. Um, and then let's thank Brian Allen for artwork. Mm-hmm. And then uh, let's see, petridishpod at gmail.com is our email address at dishpodcast for Twitter. Patreon.com slash Petri Dish. And let's say thanks to Andre for showing up again, saying some words about sweet and sweet stuff. Thank you, Andre. And you're welcome, guys. And thank you, Sean, for showing up. <laughs> you can thank me now, Sean. I'm, I'm thank you, Nathan, for, for like being the son of your oh, life, I, I, dude. I want, I want to thank Nathan for a delicious tomato. <laughs> <laughs> the flavor of ass. He, he roasted up a nice tomato for me. It was That's good. That's true, dude. All right. Let's get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. See you, everybody. everybody.